Good morning and welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Wonderful to be together again and try to extract from our Parsha the contemporary lessons that can inspire a mindful and meaningful Jewish life. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, David Ben Menachem Manash. Thank you so much for your generosity and your sponsorship, so deeply appreciated. And I want to take the liberty as well to dedicate our learning today, the study of the Parsha in memory of my beloved grandmother, Rose Goldberg, Rachel Leah Bas Shalom David, whose yurtzeit is observed this week. We miss our grandma a lot. She was a tremendous a source of inspiration and motivation, and her neshama should have an aliyah from our learning as well. We have the privilege this morning of studying together Parshas Vayetze. Parshas Vayetze appears in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash on page 144, and our Parsha begins where last week left off. Last week left off where Yaakov was fleeing after having taken the brachas from his brother Esav, after having tricked his father and his mother. He ends up having to hit the road. According to Rivka, the reason he's going, and she convinces Yitzchak, he's going to find a wife, and he cannot find a wife where they are. He has to go towards Padanaram. Um, of course, the real reason is he is fleeing for his life from his brother Esav. Esav, who surely will try to exact revenge from Yaakov for what he's done. Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva, and he heads off towards Towards Charan. We're going to get started with an Eish Tamid. We have been on a Rav Druk kick, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, the great Rosh Hashiva of Yerushalayim, the son of the Josh Mordechai, in his beautiful Svar of Eish Tamid, has fantastic insights. And I want to share several of them again with you today. Vayetze Yaakov Meir Sheva Yelech Harana says Rashi, Lohayatzarach Lichtov Eilech Vayelech Yaakov Harana. What it should have said is where Yaakov was going. The journey and the destination matter, not where he is embarking from. It teaches us a very important, powerful lesson that when a righteous person leaves the place that they are, it makes an impression. It makes an imprint. The moment that the tzaddik, the righteous person, remains in the city, in the town, that person is the glory, is the righteousness, is the splendor. But when the righteous person leaves, then the city is impacted. And we know that. We've all had tremendously inspiring, righteous people, men and women. They make aliyah, they move to another community. God forbid they move on and they leave this world. And the community is never the same again. Their model, their example, their impact, their influence, that loss is deeply, deeply felt. And so Rashi tells us that's why the Torah goes out of its way, even though it's peculiar and seemingly unnecessary. It doesn't just say, it could have and should have begun. He went to Haran, the destination. However, Vayete Yaakov to tell us that when a tzaddik leaves, it makes a Roshim. And the Kliyakar is bothered. Avram and Yitzchak didn't. Sarah and Rivka didn't travel. They didn't journey. They didn't go from place to place. When they left, they didn't leave a void. It didn't have an impact. Why do we wait until Yaakov to be able to share this teaching that when a righteous tzaddik leaves the city, that impact is felt? The Teretz HaKliyakar, and the Kliyakar explains the following. Kan ba l'chadesh, v'lachein nakad kan v'yetzei. Ki avram v'yitzchak lo hinichi b'makom sh'ochom mishan tzaddik kamosam. When Avram and Sarah, when Rif, Yitzchak and Rivka, when they left, and they left the city bereft, absent of an example of righteousness, 
absent of a teacher of their level, there was no one who could take over. There was no one like them. Of course, their absence left an impact. What was different here? What's the Chiddush? Yaakov, says the Kliyakar, may be leaving. But you know who he leaves behind? His mother and his father. Yitzchak and Rivka, his examples and role models. So maybe when you leave behind your teacher, when you leave behind your role model, maybe in such a situation, maybe Yaakov's departure, in fact, doesn't make a Roshim. You see here too, Yaakov was so unique, so distinct. Yaakov had such an impact that his leaving left an impact, even though... Yitzchak and Rivka remained behind. Until now there were three righteous, Yitzchak and Rivka and Yaakov. And after he left, there were only two. And the merit of the place was diminished. Says Rav Druk, So that was the Kliyakar. Again, the question was, why not begin Vayelech Harana? That Yaakov departed to Haran. Why do we have to mention where he's leaving from? Rashi says it comes to teach us that when a tzaddik leaves a place, it has an impact. The Kliyakar asks, is he the first to leave? Avram left, Sarah left, Yitzchak left, Rivka left. The answer is when they left, there was no one there. Of course it made an impact. When Yaakov left, he left behind Yitzchak and Rivka. Maybe it wouldn't have made an impact. Elamai says the Kliyakar, Yaakov is so great. It went from three to two and you see... The difference between three righteous people in a city versus two leaves an impact. But says Rav Druk, perhaps we can explain differently. Why was it when Yaakov left, it made an impact? Even though he left behind Yitzchak and Rivka. It's not a numbers issue. It's not because you can't compare three righteous to two righteous. But rather, and listen carefully, because every righteous person is unique, is distinct, is a unique example and model, teaches us in their unique and distinct way. Yaakov had his own midah. Avram was chesed and Yitzchak is gvura and Yaakov is emes. And when Yaakov left, that midah, that living example of emes, left with him. So it's not simply a numbers game. It's not that you went from three righteous to two righteous and that was the impact. Vayetze. The Vayetze was Yaakov's uniqueness, his distinctiveness. He was unique. Everybody is, everybody is. Uh, is their own. That also explains later when Yaakov, we'll study in a moment, when Yaakov makes this deal with God, when God promises him, don't worry, you're going to go on the same path as your forefathers, it describes Avram, your father, and Yitzchak. Why not just say Avram and Yitzchak, your fathers? Why do we separate it out? Similarly, we begin our Amidah that way. Eloke Avram, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov. We could shorten davening. Some of you just perked up. Eloke Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Why do I have to repeat? Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. And the answer is, so many bring down. Because each of our forefathers, each righteous person, they did their own drisha v'chakira. Yes, we inherit the legacy of a relationship with the Almighty from our parents. Yes, we are their shoulders. Yes, we are a link on that chain that they began. But simultaneously, we have to forge our own unique relationship. 
It's not Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as if they are all in one box. They're not all simply lumped together. They each had their own midah, their own quality. They each had their own skill sets. They each had their own talents and blessings. They each had their own liabilities and challenges. They each came their own background. And therefore, each had their own journey of discovering Hashem in their life. And we too, we too have this dual relationship with Hashem, both as inheritors of the legacies of those who came before, our parents and our great-grandparents, going all the way back to Avram and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka and Yaakov and Rachel and Leah, going all the way back. We have what we have, we believe what we believe, we do what we do, because we have inherited from them. But simultaneously, we have to discover our own, forge our own relationship. Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, Elokei Ephraim, Elokei Yocheved, Elokei everybody. We cannot rely only on those who came before, or that relationship will grow stale. It won't resonate. It won't feel like it's alive and dynamic. On the other hand, we can't wait for a relationship that we discover that feels alive and dynamic, because what happens on a day where we don't? What happens in a period of our life where we can't? That's when we have to rest and rely on those who came before. So says Rav Druk, similarly here, maybe that's what it means, that when Yaakov left, it made a Rosham, not because they went from three righteous in the city to two, but because Avram, uh, Yitzchak contributed his own righteousness, and Rivka contributed her own righteousness, but Yaakov contributes his own righteousness. And B'zei Yesh Levar, with this he explains a Gemara that's in Megillah, Chavtes, Ksubas Yedzayin, Shemavatlan Tamator Latos HaMes, Tukar Vitani Atshishim Rubo. The halacha is that if a person is sitting and studying Torah and a funeral procession passes them by, and there's the opportunity to honor the memory of the deceased, you stop and you go, why? Just like when the Torah was given with 600,000, so too when the Torah is taken, when the soul is extracted from the body, it is done with such a myriad, such a number of people. What? What does this Gemara mean? Before the Torah was given, there was no Torah in the world. So the idea that it was given with 600,000, with pomp and circumstance, with such fanfare, with such a volume of people, I understand. This was a seminal moment of history, the giving of the Torah. But taking the Torah, it's just one person. That one person who died, their soul won't learn Torah anymore. So isn't the value of the others who are learning Torah, doesn't it supersede honoring the soul, the one person from whom Torah is taken? What in the world is the Torah doing? What is it? I mean, what is the halacha, the Gemara, Megillah, Ksubis? How is it comparing the same manner in which the Torah was given with such a number of people, with such pomp and circumstance, with such myriads, so too when the Torah is taken because one person leaves the world, it deserves the same fanfare. It deserves the same assembly. What does one thing have to do with the other? Venira Levar Lefianal says Rav Druk, Eish Tamid, now we understand. Shaliolam. The Medrash Tanchum and Parshat Pinchas tells us that just like no two faces look exactly the same, just like no two people look exactly the same, so too no two people think exactly the same. Every Tamil Chacham, every righteous person, every human being has their own way of living and thinking and approaching the world. Each is a unique, distinct expression of the Almighty in this world. And therefore, when a person is taken from this world, it's as if the whole Torah, 600,000, because that unique expression of God was taken and it cannot be replaced. And perhaps that's what the Gemara means. But the same way Torah was given with such an assembly, it's taken, it deserves the same assembly of people to honor that one. That one. Why? It's only one. The answer is that one is a whole world. That one is unique and distinct. That one is irreplaceable absolutely irreplaceable. When Yaakov left the city, he was irreplaceable. 
When a person leaves this world, they are irreplaceable. And with them goes a unique expression of God in this world. I once heard Dr. Lamb, uh, Zechron Levracha, explain that's why we say Kaddish, to honor the memory of a person who left this world. Kaddish doesn't include any reference to death, even though we associate it with Avelis, with mourning and with death. Why is that? Because what is Kaddish? Yiskadel v'yiskadesh, may God's name be made great. Why are we davening that God's name be made great in connection with the loss of a life, with a person's death, with mourning and grieving? Said Dr. Lamb, said Rabbi Lamb, because when a person dies and leaves this world, there's a piece of God, an expression of God, a manifestation of God, a way that others connect to God that is lost. Every human being is a tzalem lokim, is a distinct, unique, unique expression of God. And with their loss is a loss of connecting to God through them. And that's why we say, May God's name be made great. May it be compensated, the loss of that person, which is really a loss of God. When Yaakov left the city, when a person leaves this world, it makes a roshim. When a righteous person who was that expression of God in a meaningful way leaves this world, it leaves a significant, it leaves a significant uh, roshim. Where does he go? Where does Yaakov go? Let's continue. He encounters the place. He rests there. The sun had set. He takes the stones, the rocks of the place, he puts it under his head. We all know the story that the rocks are each competing. Who will the tzaddik lie on? They combine to become one. He has the dream of the ladder, the angels going up and coming down. There's so much to talk about on this parsha, on this opening alone. And we have listened to previous parsha classes, and you'll hear our analysis and the contemporary messages, the parsha perspectives for yesterday and still today and tomorrow that we have discussed in the past. But the Kutzker Rebbe says, we've shared this before, it's one of my favorites. The Kutzker Rebbe says, we say in Kedusha, Ayei, Ayei Mekom Kvodo, where is the place of his glory? Says the Kutzker, Ayei, when we go searching, when we look, when we ask, Ayei, where is he? Makom Kvodo, we found the place. One of the names of God is Makom, because he fills every place, because he is wherever we are. So says the Kutzker, Ayei, when you ask Ayei, when you look for God, Ayei, You've discovered the place of his glory. Meaning, where is God? He's found in the search for him. He's found in a life where we're looking for him. He's found in a lifestyle where we're always including him. So Yaakov, he's running, he's fleeing, and he discovers, he encounters God. Says Rashi, other references in Sefer Yahushua to this word Vaifka. But our rabbis learn Lashon Tfila. The word Vaifka is one of the languages of prayer. Yaakov Avinu established the evening prayer of Marev. Avram established Shachris. Yitzchak established Mincha. And Yaakov here with this episode and story, he introduces us to the world of Marev. Davening Marev. Ask Rav Druk. We're back in the Eish Tamid. Ask Rav Druk. And several of you have asked me. It is not yet translated into English, but it should. It is magnificent commentary on the Parsha. The Gemara Brachas, the Gemara Brachas, the Chavav says, Avram Tikin Shachras, Vayashkem Avram Baboker, and Yitzchak Mincha, Vayitzha Yitzchak Lasuch Basada, Lufnos Erev, and Yaakov was Mesakein Arvis, Vayivka Bamakam Vayalan Sham. And wonders of Druk, you can ask. Why now? Why now? Yaakov's not a young man. Yaakov grew up as a Yoshev Oalim. He grew up with this adversary, his brother Asaph. And he grew up sitting and toiling and studying over Torah. And he wasn't motivated or inspired until now to go David Marav. 
Why now? Why now? My wife likes to make the joke, you know why Yaakov established Marv? Because once he had 12 children, it was time for bath time and bedtime. Said, sorry, I got to go Davin Marv. He established Marv. But she's wrong because it was before he had all those children. It was Vayifka Bamakom when he encountered that place, meaning when he encountered God. Why did he only encounter God then? And why did he wait to introduce Marv until then? Why not introduce Marv in his youth? Why not introduce Marav when he's cooking the lentils for his father sitting Shiva? Why not introduce Marav when he successfully purchased the birthright? Why did it take until now? And says Rav Druk the following. Anir Levar, Bezawar HaKadosh, Muva, Ki Vayalan HaNemar Gabe Yaakov Avinu Milashem Tluna, Kamoshenemar Vayalan Ha'am Al Moshe. That word Vayalan is not mean to sleep only. Vayalan has another connotation. What does it mean? The Varsh Kasha Yaakov Avinu Legalos, Yaakov is on his way to exile. He's leaving the protective cocoon, the insular environment of his mother who loved him and doted on him, of his father who was his Rebbe and his teacher, of Yoshev Oalim, of sitting in the tents of Torah study, and he's heading to exile. He's going to immerse himself in the world of a lovan. Lovan is the Aramean, a world of trickery, a world of lying, of deceit, a world of manipulation. Yaakov's life when he was living with Lovan was so miserable, was so challenging, was so filled with tension, was so filled with distraction and temptation that in fact he had to daven and say, I lift my eyes to the mountains, which the Medrash tells us we read, not El Heharim, not I lift my eyes to the mountains, but I lift my eyes where? El Hahorim, to my parents. Yaakov living with love on this trickery thief, this horrifically manipulative, lying, deceitful, low life. He has to remember the influence of his parents, the fidelity to truth of his parents, the justice of his parents. And this is what it means. Vayalan Sham Ki Hashemesh. When Yaakov Avinu is heading out, the Pasuk says, He rested there, the sun had set. And says Rav Druk, the image of the sun setting is not simply one of the end of the day. It's not literally the physical ball of the sun that set. It meant the sunset on a life of easiness, of joy, of pleasure, of serenity, of peace. The sun had set on the simplicity, on the Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. The sun had set on that stage, on that chapter of Yaakov Avinu's life. And now, and now he's about to enter a period of darkness, of exile, of deceit, a period of adversity. It's going to be a very difficult time. And that's why we say in Marv, We ask Hashem, escort us to a place of peace. Protect us and remove from us. Remove all kinds of adversaries and enemies, all kinds of threats from before us, from behind us. And shield us and shade us. Underneath your the canopy of your peace, you're a God who protects and preserves. When when 
Yaakov is immersed for 14 years in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. He doesn't need to daven Marav. Why? Because the yeshiva is the divine protection. Torah is protecting him. His rabbeim are protecting him. Before then, his parents are protecting him. But it's all changing now. Yaakov is going on the road. Yaakov is graduating the yeshiva. He's leaving the base medrash. He's leaving his parents' protective home and environment. And he's going into what we call the real world the workforce, university, life. And he's going to confront all kinds of enemies and threats. He's going to leave a place of light and clarity to a place of darkness and doubt. And that's when he has to introduce the tefillah of Marav, the davening of Marav. By the way, Rav Yaakov Kabanetsky, I miss Yaakov, writes so beautifully that why did Yaakov go and stop 14 years? He leaves his parents' home. He's on his way to Padanaram to find the proper wife. He's fleeing his brother Esav. And he immerses himself 14 years, not Shana Aleph and Shana Bet, Shana Yudalad. I don't know anyone who's negotiated that with their parents yet. Shana Yudalad. 14 years in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. Why did he need that? After all, he came from the yeshiva of his father, of Yitzchak. Why does he have to go Shem Ve'ever? Says Rav Yaakov and Emes Yaakov. Who is Shem? Shem lives in the generation of the flood. Shem lives through a corrupt society. Who's Ever? Ever lives through the generation of the tower. He lives in a time and a people who all they care about is honor and glory and their name. Their yeshiva prepared you for the real world. Their yeshiva prepared you to encounter a lovan. Yitzchak yeshiva was a yeshiva of, he was a korban and ola tamima. Yitzchak was pure and innocent. It, pro- it provided the foundation of purity and innocence. But if you're about to head out and live with a lavan, you better stop at the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. You better learn not only how to live in the base medrash, you better learn how to live outside the base medrash. Rabbi Lopiansky, a great Tamachacham, uh, Yeshiva of Greater Washington, wrote a book several years ago, a couple years ago, called um, Ben Torah for Life. It's sold out. It's a fantastic book. And it's written to Bachram B'nai Yeshiva, Kola Yungalite, that when you're done with Yeshiva, how are you a Ben Torah for life? How do you bring it with you into the workplace, into an educational environment, when you're going to encounter others and other influences? And how do you not compromise at all on your being a Ben Torah? Yaakov is learning Ben Torah for life, and he learns that in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. And he introduces Marav on his way, on his way to the home of Lavan, where the sun has set, Kivo HaShemesh. The sun has set, and it's a new period and a new chapter in Yaakov's life. And therefore, he needs to daven a Marav. In other words, Avram, you start of the day. The sun is high in the sky. The sun is rising. Clarity, illumination. It's clear there's a God, and it's clear with hope and optimism and positivity. The great day. That's the tefillah of Avram. And Yitzchak, Sicha, conversation with God. Mincha, in the middle of the day, you give God a gift of a mincha. You give him a gift of davening, interrupting in the middle of the day. These short days are difficult to find a minion if you're at work. That's why it's called mincha. You're giving God a gift. You're giving a treasure by finding that. But Yaakov is altogether different. And it needed to wait until now, when the sun set in his life. When he was living in a period of clarity, where the sun is high in the sky, he wasn't ready to introduce Amarav. It's only Kiva HaShemesh, when the sun is setting in his life, he's about to go out to exile and darkness, that's when he introduces Marav. Od Yesh Lahosef says, Rav Druk, Yukere on this, the Balaturim, Vayetze Yaakov Yesh Omrim, Shepashas Estuma. The Balaturim points out that this Pasha Vayetze is the only Pasha in the Torah, that there are no, if you look at a column of the Torah, sometimes, it ends on a line and it picks up on the same line with a break in between. Sometimes it ends on that line and only picks up on the next line. But here you have neither. Here you have neither. Says the Balaturim, because he ran away quietly. He ran away secretly and in hiding. Stuma. 
There is no psucha and there is no stuma. Why? The whole thing is meant to be read as one unit, as one section. There are no breaks. Those breaks, we know Chazal tell us, when the Torah was being dictated to Moshe, Moshe said, Hashem, let me, let me listen. Let me pause. Let me absorb. Let me integrate. Let me think about what you've told me. It's a natural break in the narrative, in the story. But points out the Svasemes, says Rav Druk, here in Vayetze, the one parsha of the whole Torah, there are no breaks. Why? Habir Bezes says, Rav Druk Yeshlamar, Sharem is Zukach, but Parsha Zuyakov, Avino Holech, Legolas, Alavan, Arami. Yaakov is going to Golas, to Lavan. Normally, a person evaluates every chapter of their life separately. I went here, then there was a summer, then I did that, then I did this, then this happened. And when you zero in, when you zoom in the lens on the particular episode or chapter of your life, you can wonder and you can ask, where was God? And how and why did this happen? But Yaakov Avinu didn't live that way. He zoomed out the lens and he saw all of this as one big unit. And therefore, he didn't say this moment why it was so difficult and why did I have to go through this. He looked at the total picture, the big picture. And by zooming out that lens and looking at the total picture and the big picture, he was able to see Hashem in his life. He was able to see why everything happened the way he did. He was able to feel a sense of gratitude for the things and the good and the blessings that he encountered in his life. So Yaakov you know, has this dream. Where was he when he had the dream? And what did he dream about? And what is its symbolism and meaning? As I said, we have discussed these things these, uh, previously. Well, I wish we could dive into them. Other ideas to share with you this morning. So the Torah continues. He has this uh, dream, the ladder, what it represents, the bridge between heaven and earth. You don't find God by escaping. You don't find God by living an ascetic, transcendent life. You find God by building a ladder, a bridge between heaven and earth. You bring God down, you give him dira betachtonim, here in the mundane, here in the everyday, being a ben Torah, a bas Torah for life, that's where you find God. That was the dream that he had to have in this transition from the chapter of living with Yitzchak and Rivka, learning the Shiva Shem Ve'ever, and on his way to living with, living with Lavan. Um, the Torah tells us, what happens? He has the whole dream and he wakes up, turn the page. So Yaakov wakes up from his sleep. And he says, Whoa, this God here. I didn't know. Whoa, there's a Hashem right here. And I had no clue. I didn't even know. I saw homiletically, I forgot where I saw it. I apologize, I can't quote. I won't bring the Geula. Who said it? But you can read it, Vayikat Yaakov Mishnaso. The word Mishnaso, Mishnaso can mean, Sheina means sleep. But Lishanos also can mean to learn Torah, can mean to review. Vishinantam Levanecha, teach your children. Vishinantam means to teach. Mishnaso means from his learning. And so I saw it suggested that we could read, Vayikat Yaakov. Yaakov finished, he woke up Mishnaso from learning. Whoa, God is here, I had no idea. Sometimes a person learns the whole daf yomi, mazel tov to those who finished Erevin and began Psachim. You can learn a whole Masechta, you can learn a whole Shas, and you turn one page a day, and at the end of the whole Shas, seven and a half years, you say, I didn't talk about God once. I talked about a lot of details and minutia and laws and esoteric and academic, but I never talked about God. You could finish learning and never talk about God. And that's the danger. Vayikatz, we have to wake up. And I can't tell you how important this is in the curriculum for our children who are learning Chumash and Navi and Gemara and Halacha, and it's all critically important, but it's all a platform, and it's all there to offer the opportunity to talk about Hashem, to talk about God. 
Yaakov woke up from his learning and he said, whoa, I didn't realize God's in the Gemara and the story in the Navi and the lesson in the Chumash. I didn't realize you're allowed to talk about God in the Torah learning. I didn't know. We have to go back to using our Torah learning as a platform to talk about Hashem. What does it mean his involvement in our life and our relationship with him and how can we get closer and so on. Okay, that's one shot. But I want to share with you from the Hafla, the Baal Hafla, Rav Pinchas Halevi Harvitz, the great tzaddik, who said the following, God is here, Yaakov woke up and said, Simple translation is, God is here and I didn't know, and I didn't know. Says the Hafla, what do we learn from here? We learn from Yaakov Avinu, what is the proper path? How do we ascend the steps of the ladder to get close to God? We can get to a place that One of the names of God is Makom. Why? Not only in the base of the shul, in the kitchen, the bedroom, in the driveway. In the gym, at the supermarket, at work, wherever we are, Bamakom, one of the names of God is Makom, place, because he is found in every place. Bamakom, in this place. Achen Hashem, we can bring God into the gym, and into work, and into the supermarket, and into every conversation. Yesh Hashem Bamakom, he is here. But what will it take? What do we have to do? Says the Hafla, only ve'anochi lo yadati. If we can get ready, rid of our anochi. Our Anochi. Anochi means the I, the ego, the id, the Anochi, that sense of self. Too many of us, our lives are defined by our sense of self, our arrogance, our ego, our quest to receive honor and to indulge our needs, our pleasures, our wants, that the world has to conform to us, that we make everyone else around us conform to us. That sense of Anochi, the Anochi, the I, the ego, it stands and gets in the way of everything, including it gets in the way of living a life of Achin Hashem So said the Baal Hafla, said Rapin Chasalevi Harvitz, if you want to get to a level of life, of living, Achin Hashem God is here. Wherever here is, on the airplane, on the ship, in the car, wherever the here is, on my jog, on my run, wherever the here is, if I want to get to a life and a lifestyle, a place of Achin Hashem that God is here, then I have to achieve anochi lo yadati, that I don't know my anochi, that my life is not defined by the pursuit of my anochi. The anochi, the ego, the I, that is not going to be what my life is all about. That is the beautiful insight of the hafla. The great Piazetz Nerebbe, of Kalanam's Kalman Shapiro, Piazetz, Nashem Yikom Damo, brutally murdered by the Nazis, famous for his sefer of uh, his farm, his kodesh, the um, sermons he gave in the Warsaw Ghetto, famous for his Chovas HaTamidim, but he has another Sefer Derech HaMelech, and in his Sefer Derech HaMelech, he says the following, learn and listen with me. He says, Rashi writes, V'anochi lo yadati, ilu yadati lo yashanti, if I knew that God was here, I never would have taken a shluf. If I knew that this was a moment to connect, this was a moment to transcend, this was a moment to realize my very purpose in existence, ilu yadati lo yashanti, I never would have chapped a shluf. I never would have taken a drimmel. I never would have closed my eyes and fallen asleep. What do you mean? I don't understand. Rashi said that, would I ever pass the place where my forefathers were and not Davin? He knew it was a holy place. Yaakov acknowledged it himself it was a holy place, the precedent of his forefathers who had seen it as a holy place. So chronologically, he knew it was a holy place before. So when does the Piazetzner, what's going on? 
So I'm not missing Mizikne Hakadosh Harebe Rebeli Melech. By Daber Lokim is called Varma Ela Lemor Anochi. The in Parshas Yisro, when the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments are given, it says that God spoke all these things and He said Anochi. Shekol Advarm Shadiber Elokim Vachol Mitzvos Heim Lemor Anochi. The purpose of all Torah and Mitzvos, all six thirteen, all that we do, all of Jewish life is Lemor Anochi. To say Anochi, not the Anochi of my eye, my ego, myself, but Shiyeda Ha'ishas Ha'Anochi Hashem. To know the Anochi Hashem Elokecha. There are two Anochis in this world. There's the Anochi Hashem Elokecha, the God Anochi, where God says, I am the Lord your God, I took you out of Egypt. Anochi, which all of Torah can be summarized by the Ten Commandments. All Ten Commandments can be summarized by the First Commandment. And all the First Commandment can be summarized and reduced to the first word, Anochi. The totality of Torah. All of Judaism can be reduced to one word, Anochi. To be mevatel, to cancel and nullify our anochi for his anochi. You see, we live in a world there's competition. Are we going to indulge our anochi, our sense of I, or his? Who will we listen to? Who will we indulge? Who will we follow? Which is more important? Which do we seek to elevate and promote? Our anochi or his? So quotes the Piazetsnes, quoting the Rebbe Rebeli Melech of Lezhensk, who said, this is how you read the Pasuk, God spoke all these things, meaning all of Torah, in order to say, Anochi, embrace a life with me. Why do I need 613 mitzvahs for this? So with the first of the Ten Commandments, you've given it to me, I'm the Lord your God, why do I need nine more commandments? Why do I need 612 more commandments? What do I need it all? And the answer is, because we live in this competition. We're working so hard our whole lives just to come to this knowledge, just to come to this awareness, just to come to this mindfulness. There's a Hashem. He created everything. He has expectations of us. He's involved in our life. He is the answer in our life. But it takes all of this, 613 that translates to thousands of mitzvahs. It takes a whole life of Judaism just to try to come to that conclusion. We don't really understand what's in the mind of a Yaakov, but we know how it impacts us. And therefore, I know, I knew my forefathers stopped by here. I know there's a holiness of this place. As Rashi pointed out, and chronologically, that he already knew. Because he said, what am I going to pass by here and not take advantage in Davin? He knew it was a holy place. The fact that this was a holy place that didn't penetrate, that didn't get inside my kishkas. If I knew, if I really felt Hashem's presence, I could never sleep. I'd be so excited. I'd be so in love. I'd be so longing. If I really knew, then I could never have slept. So the Piazetzner reinterprets this whole Pasuk. And it's diametrically opposed to the way the Hafla understood it. The Hafla understood it that Yesh Hashem Bamakom God is here when... When ve'anochi lo yadati, when we don't realize and we don't emphasize our anochi. The Holy Piazetzna says it in the opposite direction. That of course Yaakov knew it was a holy place. That I knew. But anochi lo yadati. Taking that life and that lifestyle, taking those Torah and mitzvahs, taking those lessons, 
but va'anochi, but having the anochi penetrate me, the anochi that there's a Hashem, having that really be absorbed into my kishkas, living with that in a real way, lo yadati, I didn't know, because if I did know lo yashanti, I never, ever, ever could have fallen asleep, I never, ever could have taken that, could have taken that drimmel. Okay, moving right along. So Yaakov wakes up, and I'm, hopefully we'll get past the beginning of the Pasha today. Yaakov wakes up and he cuts a deal. It's time for let's make a deal. Yaakov says, let's make a deal with God. And he makes a matzeva, and he calls out to God, and he gives it a name. Page 146, the Arts Girl Stone Chumash, chapter 28, verse 20. Yaakov takes an oath. He makes a vow. God will be with me. stay with me on this path. that I am going on. See the note. See the use of Anochi again. Now have a fun time. The two Anochis we spoke about. There's the I Anochi, which is bad, ego, bad, and there's the God Anochi, good. Anochi Hashem And throughout Torah, look at when the word Anochi is used and figure out which Anochi it is. So if God stays with me, and I'll give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and I can return peacefully to the home of my father, and God will be for me a God. Then this monument that I made will be a house for God. And whatever he gives me, I'll tithe. I'll give 10% of what he gives me away if in fact, he keeps to his end of this deal. And you know, you can't help but be bothered. If, in fact, he keeps to his end of the deal, what in the world is going on here? Is it time for let's make a deal? Yaakov encounters God, and when he wakes up, he cuts a deal with God? I don't understand. Why is he making a God? Why is he cutting a deal with God? We are not the first to be bothered by this. All the commentators are bothered by this, beginning with Rashi. And Rashi says, you know why he's cutting a deal with God? What's the deal? If you give me clothing to wear and food to eat and you return me peacefully to my place where I come from, to my ancestral home, then, then I'll stick with you too. Then I'm part of the covenant. Then I'll give my sir. I'll tithe the income. I'll tithe that which you bless me with. Let's make a deal. I don't think you make deals with God. I don't think you make deals with God. And this is a Yaakov is the one who's making the deal. Yaakov the Ishtam Yoshev Olim. Yaakov, the one of MS, the one of truth. Yaakov, the one of, of Emuna, of faith. He's the one cutting this deal. So Rashi understands. Rashi makes a suggestion that Shema Yigro Machet. Yaakov's faith in God didn't waver. Yaakov was worried his faith in himself. I recently uh, published an interview I had done three years ago with Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Zichron Levracha, the great Rabbi Sachs, who left us way too soon. I had interviewed him three years ago when he was in Boca and I never did anything with it. And when we lost him, I, I remembered and I, and I put it up and I published it. And the first question I asked him was, did his faith in God ever waver? Did he ever, did he ever have questions of faith? Did he ever have doubts? And he answers, I have questions of faith all the time, but never in God, only in man. And he spoke about it. It's worth listening to how and why he was able to maintain an unwavering faith in God, even when his faith in man faltered. So here Yaakov Avinu says Rashi, his faith in God wasn't at risk. He didn't lose his faith in God. It was his faith in himself. Maybe he had merits. Maybe God made him promises. Because that's really the question here. God already just said to him, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm going to escort you on the whole journey. It's all going to go well. Don't worry, you're guaranteed success. And Yaakov turns to him and says, look, here's the deal. If you A, B, and C, then I will 
X, Y, and Z. What, God, God just told you he promised you success. Now you're cutting a deal with him after he promised? Says Rashi, yeah. Maybe he thinks God is wanting, making those promises to the Yaakov who earns it, to the Yaakov who's worthy, who deserves it. But Shema Yigram maybe he won't be deserving. Maybe he won't be worthy. And that's why he's saying to Hashem, I'm worried, I'm not going to merit your protection. And if, but if you keep me and my children safe, I'll never forget that kindness because it will be a kindness. I won't be worthy of it. If you do it, I'll never forget it because I'm undeserving of it. That's how Rashi understands. The Ramban understands differently. And the Ramban writes, This is not conditional. It's a vow, it's an oath. Says the Ramban, and the Ramban says this in a few places, a very powerful and startling and somewhat difficult statement, that really God is only found in the land of Israel. And really Torah has only lived in the land of Israel. And that doesn't mean that we are free or unbound from a life of Torah or Jewish law outside of the land of Israel. What it means is we are doing it as a dress rehearsal. We're doing it as practice. We're doing it for, to prepare for the day that we will enter the land. And therefore, says the Ramban, Sod Haaretz, the mystical spiritual quality found in Israel. That's what Yaakov is saying. God, I'm leaving. I have to leave Eretz Yisrael. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the place of an intense connection to you. I'm leaving the place that is the real deal. And I'm going to the place of practice. I'm going to the place of rehearsal. But even as I'm outside the land, I will do your mitzvos, even if they won't be as powerful as they will be when I return. This is not a condition, it's a promise. Hashem, he's not saying, if you do this, then I will do that. He's saying, Hashem, I hope you'll do this for me, but either way, I will be connected to you even while I'm outside the land. The third is the Svarno. Ravavadja Svarno, the great Italian commentator, says that we're bothered by questions in our life. And Yaakov here is bothered by this question too. Here Hashem has promised, I'm going to take care of you. But it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. He's running and fleeing from his own brother. He has to leave the cocoon and protection of his own parents. He's about to live with the biggest trickster, the biggest liar, the biggest manipulator in time of all time, Lavan. And God has made these promises, but it absolutely doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. So, what is Yaakov davening for? Says this morning, you know what he's davening for? He's davening to go back to a time and a place of... Shalom, of Shalom. V'shavti b'shalom. I want to go back to a place of Shalom. You know, I used to believe in you, Ishtam Yoshev, all him wholeheartedly. I had no doubts, I had no questions, I had no uncertainty. But you know what? On this journey, in this place, I'm filled with doubt and uncertainty. I know you made me a promise. I know you promised me success. But it sure doesn't feel like it. It sure doesn't feel like it. So V'shavti b'shalom. I want to go back to a place where it feels like it. El Besavi, like it felt when I was living in my parents' home. The Svarno also understands this is not a condition. It's not let's make a deal. It's part of his tefillah. It's part of his promise. But let's see what Rav Druk says. So we saw Rashi, the Ramban, and the Svarno. Let's see what Rav Druk has to say. Says Rav Druk. The simple understanding is that Yaakov absolutely is taking a vow. He's making a promise. And in fact, we learn many of the laws of taking such a vow, that when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, when you're in a difficult circumstances and a crisis, there is a very Jewish tradition from Yaakov that you take a neder. Hashem, if you get me out of this, I promise, I pledge to give the tzedakah, change this behavior, upgrade my 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 lifestyle. He never begamar should tzedakah, he's chus rakash Yisrael osim masah, about tzedakah v'chesed shu masah osim lahem. 
We're allowed to make a condition when it comes to the giving of tzedakah, and we learn that from here. Hashem, I'll give you this tzedakah if you get me out of this situation. And he asks several questions, and he says the following. Avi Mori Bi'er, my father. Rav Druk is talking about his father, the Drash Mordechai, Rav Mordechai Druk. Zatzal. She'ena kavan Hashem yitein lo'akom avtiyochu ma'iser. How do you understand the end? Yaakov says, if you provide for me all those things, then I'll tithe and I'll give you back. So we only are obligated and stuck if we feel God is giving us our due, only if we get what we deserve. If we're getting shortcut on what we think we deserve, then we don't have to get stuck. What kind of deal is this that Yaakov's making? So said Rav Druk's father, this is not maftiachu maiser, elagama maiseru b'chalal ha-bakasha, shemavakesh me'kadosh baruchu sh'yitein lo lechem lachol u'beged l'bosh, He's not saying, if you give me this, then I'll tithe. It's part of the request. Give me clothing to wear and food to eat and give me the opportunity. Give me something to take a tithe over. It's not a condition. He's not making a deal with God. It's the opposite. He's saying to God, I so desperately want to take a portion of what I have and to reinvest it in your vision and mission and what you want me to be doing. So help and promise and give me what I need so that I can give it in return and use it for you. This entire section of Ayyidur Yaakov, where Druk has this long, we don't have the opportunity now to really elaborate, but he has this long, beautiful insight interpretation. Yaakov is not making a condition or a deal. He's making a promise and a pledge. Empower me. Empower me with the tools I need to live a life that I can be in service of you. I need clothing. I need food. And I need material things upon which I can tithe in order to position myself to give my life to you. And Rav Druk quotes a mashal that Rav Yisrael Salanter gave. That there was a certain uh, villager who got to an uh, inn. And he ate and he drank and he slept. And in the end, the innkeeper, the hotel management, wanted him to pay. So he said, I don't understand. Why do I have to pay? The waiters and the staff of the hotel, they don't pay. They eat and they sleep and they drink. They have access to the amenities. And not only do they not have to pay for it, they get paid. And I, I'm not asking to get paid, but why should I have to pay? So the Bala Malon, the, the hotel proprietor says, Fool! They're working for me. So therefore I have to give them food and board. And I pay them because they're working for me. But you're not working for me. You're just a guest. You're simply taking advantage of the amenities they're the ones providing the amenities. And Rav Yisrael Salanta said this mashal, the nimshal is us in our lives. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm giving you food and board, but are you working for me? Or are you just taking advantage of the amenities and you're working and indulging yourself? If you're working for yourself, there's a payday. But if you're working for me, then not only are these things free, I'll pay you for them. And that's what Yaakov is saying. I want to live a life where I'm working for you, but I'm going to need room and board. I'm going to need material things upon which to take Miser. So, Aser Asrenu Lach, I will tithe what you give me, is not a condition or a deal. It's part of the prayer and it's part of the promise of what he is asking for. And says Rav Druk, we see this in our holy Slichos. In our holy Slichos. We say in Slichos, Hanashamalach Vaguf Palach, Chusa Al Amalach. Hanashamalach Vaguf Shalach, Hashem Asay Laman Shemecha. So, the Chsam Sofer, he quotes the Chsam Sofer. There are two types of people. There's a person, the purpose we use our body 
as an instrument for our soul. And such a person would say, Haguf shalach, God, my body is yours. I'm using all of my body and all of my energy and all of my faculties in order to serve you. And for him we say, because it's all really to serve Hashem, to be marbek vod shemo, to enhance and promote his name. But there are also people who are the opposite. The neshama is for the guf. Want to eat and sleep. They want the pleasures of life. And that haguf pa'alach. For such a person we say, chusa al amalach. Which type of person are you? Does your soul serve your body or does your body serve your soul? Are you a soul that has a body or are you a body that has a soul? Because the slichos addressed both types of people. Yaakov was a soul that has a body. Yaakov says, I want to dedicate my life to the service of you. But in order to do that, I'm going to need some room and board. I'm going to need some things. And therefore, this was not a condition or a deal. It was not a tenai as much as it was part of the prayer. It was part of Yaakov's appeal to Hashem. Lastly, on this Pasuk, the Heliga Revolba, Revolba Zatzal, the great Mashkiach, also wonders, the great Yaakov is asking for such treatment from Hashem. How could it be to watch over him? To, where does Yaakov come off asking for all these things? So says Ravoba, we know that the Rambam teaches, others teach, Hashkacha Pratis is, is directly proportional. The divine providence that we receive from God is directly proportional to our faith in Him. The greater our faith in Him, the more providence, the more direct interaction He has with us. It all works measure for measure. The closer we are to Hashem, the more intense Hashem provides that providence and looks over and watches after us. So Yaakov, says Ravoba, was not merely asking for a handout this is Ravoba writes this in his Shiri uh, Chumash, Anar Parsha. He was not looking for a handout. He's not looking to take advantage of God. He's not looking for extra protectia because who is he to ask for such things? What he's saying is the following Hashem, I'm going to work hard to get on such a level that I'll earn the Hashkacha Pratis. If they're directly proportional, my faith earns me that relationship. People who have no faith, God's not involved in their life. People who have great Faith, God says, thanks for inviting me in. I'll be involved and I'll provide providence in your life. So what Yaakov was saying, again, is not a condition or a deal. What Yaakov was saying was, I'm going to work hard in order to be worthy. I'm going to have dveikas and amuna and bitachan. I'm going to have faith and trust in you. And then to get to that point that you will provide that providence in me. And says Rav this is the pshat and the pasuk. This is what it means, what we say in Tehillim. Hashem tzilcha, Hashem tzilcha yad yaminecha, God is your shadow. What does it mean God is a shadow? It means he imitates and he mimics our exact behavior. If we are vigilant in our vodas Hashem, he'll reciprocate. If we put our faith and trust in him, he will be ever present and have great providence on us. Hashem tzilcha ayad yaminecha. The shadow imitates exactly the person. Hashem is our shadow that he directly imitates us. What we put into him is what he reciprocates back towards us. Okay, the Torah tells us, skipping way ahead, just getting a couple other ideas this morning. The Torah tells us that Yaakov makes his way to the house of Lavan. At the well, he meets Rachel. We've discussed in the past the significance of a well. Always at the well. Everything is at the well. Why are all these shiduchim at the well? Can't you meet someone other than at the well? What is the deeper symbolism or significance? Aside from the fact that the well was the marketplace. The well was where all the transactions and commerce and conversations all happened. But there's something deeper there we've discussed in the past, and you can check it out. Yaakov meets Rachel, falls in love, wants to marry her. Lavan, of course, pulls the old switcheroo, and he marries Leah first. Perch of Tes Pasag Lamed Aleph. Vayar Hashem Kisnu Akara. And after they're married, God sees that Leah is, is hated, 
and he therefore opens her womb. He wants her to experience some pleasure, some joy, some happiness in life, and he leaves uh, Rachel barren for the time being. And you can't help but wonder, this Pasuk is very troubling. What do you mean, Vayar Hashem ki God saw that Leah is hated. God saw that Leah is hated. Yaakov is a righteous man. He's the Ishtam Yoshev Olim. He's the one of Emes. This Yaakov is, is such a special Balmidos. How could it be that he hated Leah? Hate is a very strong word. Hate is a very powerful word. How could it be he hated? He hated. So the Ramban says that Yaakov didn't hate Leah, but he carried resentment towards her for deceiving him and for switching with Rachel the night of their wedding. So much so, says the Ramban, he contemplated divorcing her. However, when Hashem saw that Yaakov was thinking of leaving her, he helped Leah conceive, and the birth rapidly in succession several times made Yaakov change his mind. They had children together, and they became close. They forged a shared destiny through their children. Yaakov stayed with Leah. So it's not that he hated Leah, but, and this is part of the story that's not written in the text, and we can't help but wonder, what was that relationship like? We always talk about the generosity, how magnanimous Rachel was in giving the signs to Leah. But how did Yaakov feel towards Leah? That he wakes up and he finds Leah's there. That Leah participated in the old switcheroo. It wasn't just Lavan who was the tricker. Leah also did. So the Ramban says Yaakov was resentful, and that's what it means, ki Leah. But most commentators understand that when the Torah says snu'ah, it doesn't mean Yaakov hated Leah. It simply means, relatively speaking, he loved Leah less than he loved Rachel. He loved Leah, but less than Rachel. Yaakov, Rachel was singular. She was unique. There was no one like her. So he loved Leah, but it was less than Rachel. And when he loved her less, it felt like she was hated. The problem is, it's not what the Torah says. Torah is very intentional. Torah uses and chooses its words very carefully. And it doesn't say Yaakov loved Leah less. And it doesn't say Yaakov was resentful, but he still loved her. It says, Snu Leah. It says he hated her. How could that be? And the answer is, I suggest to you this morning, my friends, that Yaakov did not, in fact, hate Leah. However, however, Leah felt hated. And the Torah is teaching us that how a person feels is as true as how you intended to make them feel. Perception is reality. Leah felt hated. She perceived that Yaakov hated her. And because she bore that feeling, the Torah described Leah as hating. The way we intend to make a person feel is often not as important as the way they feel, as how they feel. Our intent matters, but so does the way the other person feels. And even if we didn't speak or mean to speak with malice, and if we're speaking strongly or passionately, only because of how strongly we feel. But if the result or consequence, if the outcome is that the other person feels a certain way, then we're responsible, then we're accountable, then we've brought about that perception, then we have created that reality, and we have to own it. We have to be careful with our words and make sure that we don't let someone feel like Leah did, that she was snua. We have to be very careful because what we project is how people feel. And you see this in the other direction. You see this in the other direction. Yaakov, earlier in the parasha, encounters when he first comes to that well. He encounters these shepherds and they're calling it a day before quitting time. The sun hadn't set. The day is not over. There's more work to be done and they're ready to go home. And Yaakov gives him a shtickel musr. He gives him a little rebuke and he says, the sun is still high in the sky. You can't rob from your boss. Get back to work. And the question is, how can he say such a thing? Who is he to give them this Musr? He's a stranger. He's brand new. What is he rebuking them? 
So the Nitziv says something remarkable. The Nitziv says that when Yaakov walked up to the shepherds, listen to the words he said. Vayomer lehem Yaakov, Achai me'ayinatem. Yaakov first met them, he walks up and he says, Hey brothers, where are you from? Vayomer when they answer, Mechar anachtu. Says the Nitziv, Yaakov didn't walk up and position himself like the other, like he was a stranger. He positions himself, he walks up and he says, Achai, hey brothers, what's up brother? And by saying, hey brother and brothers, he positioned himself with a closeness. He started out by saying, I care about you. I'm invested in you. I'm invested in this relationship. Hey, my brother, where are you from? What's going on? And then he was able to follow it up by giving a little musr. Then he could follow it up by giving a little bit of encouragement because it all depends how you make the person feel. Do you make the person feel snu'ah that they're hated or do you make the person feel achai, hey, brother, and that they are loved? And the Mishnah Pirkei says, Aaron Akoin was Oivis Abrios and Makarvan La Torah. He loved all people and he drew them close to Torah. And the commentators on Pirkei Avos point out, what was his methodology? What did he do? Bible codes? Hachalant? How did he bring them close to Torah? The answer is in exactly the statement of the Mishnah. When you love people, by loving people, he drew them in, he attracted them. Yaakov loved the shepherds, but yet he failed when it came to Leah. Even though he didn't hate her, how could the Ishtam Yeshev Olam have hated her? He didn't hate her. But nevertheless, she felt hated. And because she felt hated, that was enough to make Yaakov accountable. This week is the holiday of Thanksgiving, whether you observe it or not. We all should be thankful, not only on the Thursday of Thanksgiving, but every day of the year. So how could we not end with this last insight? Oh, I had several more of Drooks I wanted to tell you. As always, as is our minag, we're out of time. But one last thought. When Leah names uh, her fourth son, she names him Yehuda. She says, Hashem, out of gratitude. And indeed, the Gemara Barachos goes so far as to say that Leah is the very first. The whole world, Adam and Chava and Avram and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka, nobody, not the Yeshiva of Shem nobody had properly thanked God until Leah came on the scene. And how do you understand that? Noach made a Mizbeach, he offered a carbon to God. Others spoke to God. What do you mean Leah is the first to say thank you to God? What is at the root? What is at the core of Thanksgiving? What is Thanksgiving on that holiday or every day really all about? So there's a Chassam Sofer that I love, Rav Shmuel Ben Yaman Sofer of Pressburg, son of the great Chassam Sofer, the Ksav Sofer, I'm sorry, a Ksav Sofer that I love. And the Ksav Sofer says, of course there were individuals before Leah who expressed their gratitude. However, each of the others only expressed their thankfulness because God had done a miracle. God had done something out of the ordinary. God had done something supernatural. God had done something that they never ever could have predicted or relied upon. Leah is the first who God does something totally cloaked in the natural. She has a child. Conception seems natural. Childbirth seems natural. And she's the first who saw God in the natural. She said thank you for something others com- considered completely predictable or natural. She wasn't being saved miraculously or being given a second chance after being expelled from Garden, Garden of Eden. She was expressing gratitude for a biological reality, something completely natural. And that is at the root and the core of Thanksgiving, is when we th- say thanks for the things that we think we could take for granted. And nevertheless, we say thank you. To not say thank you only for that which is extraordinary, to say thank you even for the things which are completely ordinary. Rav Yerucham, the great Mashkiach of the Mir, says even further. He says, Leah, don't read it, Hapa Modes Hashem, this time I thank God. Read it, Hapa Modes Hashem, what am I only going to thank God once? 
Hapam says Rav Yerucham something beautiful. Leah named her son, thank you. So what happened? Every single time she used his name, every single time she called him, she was reminding herself of her gratitude. Thank you, it's time for dinner. Yehuda, thank you. Did you do your homework? Yehuda, thank you. Come on, it's time to get in the school car. We've got to head, head out for school. Every time she called Yehuda, she said his name, she was saying thank you. Hapam, only one time am I going to say thank you? When you really feel gratitude, you don't just discharge that obligation. You don't pay the debt of gratitude by saying thank you, now we're even. But you say thank you over and over and over again, because thank you is not simply paying a debt. Thank you is how you really feel, and it's something which is worth saying over and over and over again. And that's what thanksgiving and being thankful for is really all about. It's about the admission, as we've quoted from Rafutner many, many times, to the admission, I am enriched by you, I'm willing to say thank you, and I don't just thank you once. Hapam, only one time? No. Over and over and over again, I will say thank you. Have a great day. Have a wonderful week. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.